Rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you today, Sister? Very well, alhamdulillah, Sheikh. Another day, um, and hope all is well with everyone as well. Yes, alhamdulillah. Sheikh, we'll get straight into the questions. They're piling up. So the first one reads Assalamu alaikum. Please, what is the talqeen, and can you recite it? Um, shukran. Yeah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Uh, we all know that the talqeen is normally that which is recited after the person is placed in the, in the ground mm-hmm. and is buried. And normally the imam or the sheikh he would go closer and he would recite something. Okay, uh, Literally talqeen, it means instruction. Where you are instructing the deceased on certain things and to instruct and also to remind the deceased of what is happening and the process and to be steadfast on the questions that will be asked to him mm. by the angels etc etc okay now the talqeen the way that we do it in this part of the world is is obviously a set format mm. but it does not have to take that format okay it's not a must that it must be those specific words but the, the gist of it is, it's an instruction as well as an encouragement, as well as a dua that mm. we give to the deceased person. And there is, of course, uh, proof for it. I mean, there is precedent for it in the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I'll just quote a couple of narrations so that at least we know where it comes from. Mm. The Prophet says in one hadith, إِنَّ الْعَبْدَ إِذَا هُضِعَ فِي قَبْرِهِ وَتَوَلَّ عَنْهُ أَصْحَابُهُ وَإِنَّهُ لَيَسْمَعُ قَرْأَنِ عَالِهِمْ أَتَاهُ مَلَكَانْ فَيُقْعِدَانِهِ فَيَقُولَانِ مَا كُنْتَ تَقُولُ فِي هَذَا الرَّجُلِ لِمُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم He says that uh, the Prophet said that if a person is placed in his grave and all his friends and family goes away now hmm. and the Nabi says he can actually hear their footsteps as they depart the two angels will come to him they will sit him up and they will then begin to speak to him and they will say to him what do you say about this man muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that came to you what what is your response who is he and then the prophet goes on to say that the believer will give a positive answer he will say that i be witness that he is allah ta'ala's messenger and his servant and his prophet okay then they will tell him look at they will open a window for him in his qabr and they will say for him look at your place in jannah that is where you are going because of your positive answer that you had given. As for the munafiq or the disbeliever, he obviously will not be able to know and give the proper answer. And so he will have a different uh, result as to the first one. So here clearly the Prophet wasallam had said that the angels will come and they will obviously ask certain questions. So when we give talqeen, we are basically reminding that deceased person of those questions that are imminent. Then there's also another hadith where the Prophet ﷺ actually instructed us to make istighfar for the person who is being buried hmm. uh, and to ask Allah Ta'ala to keep him steadfast. And this hadith is narrated by Sidna Uthman radiallahu anhu. He says, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا فرغ من دفن الميت وقف عليه وقال استغفروا لأخيكم وسلوا له التثبيت فإنه الآن يسأل that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he 
he was done with the with the burial of a deceased person he would stand over the grave and he would tell everyone else make istighfar seek forgiveness for your brother and ask allah to make him steadfast because very soon he will be asked all these questions so the fact of the matter is that we are then aware that the Prophet ﷺ had informed us that questions will be asked. And so the talqeen, there is a hadith also within Nabi Wasallam had actually said, مَوْتَاكُمْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Instruct your deceased to say, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Now this can mean one of two things. It can mean the one that is about to die. That is also called talqeen. As the person is leaving this world, you also instruct him to say, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ But it can also mean that you instruct him after he has died. To be firm on the words of La ilaha illallah Because that will obviously be Some of the questions that will be asked to him Now again I want to say The format in which we do it It's a long format of the talqeen We don't have to follow that particular format hmm. But the whole idea is to be there When the person is buried Or after the person is buried And to make dua for him And to also giving, give him encouragement And hmm. to give him sort of a reminder Of those questions and the answers and so on That is basically what the talqeen is, is all about Shukran, Sheikh. We just have a few minutes left, and I think what we'll do is uh, leave the next question for when we come back after Maghrib, because we have to back break for Maghrib quickly, inshallah. And uh, yeah, stay with us. This is Questions and Answers. More of your questions after the short break. Back in a moment. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM, 91.3 FM Stereo. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. Uh, shukran so much for staying with us as we continue with your SMS questions on 47913. Sheikh Ibrahim Was is in studio with us as we just took our break. Um, inshallah. The next question reads, Sheikh is, Assalamu alaikum. I'm a female divorced with two adult daughters a grand grandchildren a brother and a sister who inherits from me and what proportions do they get shukran yeah in in this case uh, obviously the 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 husband is out of the picture because there was a divorce mm. uh, so what is uh, remaining now is the daughters the grandchildren and the siblings and in this case uh, since there is more than one daughter there's two two of them the daughters will then automatically get two-thirds of the estate right and the grandchildren in this case will not inherit anything they will not get anything because the, the, the daughters themselves will be screening out the grandchildren. Mm. And then the remaining one third that is left will go to the siblings, the brother and the sister. And obviously, uh, needless to say that uh, although it's a third going to the brother and the sister, the brother will obviously take a double share to the sister. Mm. Okay, So that third will be split into three. And so from, from that third, the brother will take two portions out of the three and the sister will take one portion out of the three. Okay, to, to, to create a double share for that. So that is basically what it is. Two thirds for the daughters, one third for the siblings that is shared. And that one third is further split up whereby the brother gets a double share to the sister. And the grandchildren, like I said, in this particular case, will not inherit anything. Okay. Next one reads, Assalamu alaikum. Can I still read the English translation of the Quran when I have my menses? Um, I have it on my phone, Sheikh. Well, yes, certainly you may. Uh, of course, the only thing that we are prohibited to do while a woman is in a state of hayd or menstruation is to, to, to read the actual Quran, to make salah and to make tawaf if she's in Makkah and to enter a masjid and to remain in, uh, to remain seat, seated in a masjid. Those are some of the things that are obviously uh, out of out of bounds or uh, that is not allowed for the woman. But anything, if she wants to read the translation of the Quran, obviously that is not the Quran itself. You don't need to do even to touch the translation of the Quran. Mm -hmm. So you can obviously read that if it's on your phone. And you are also allowed to read any other askar 
you know, like la ilaha illallah, like tasbih, like tahmeed, like takbir, like any other dhikr that mm. you feel comfortable with, you are allowed to read. And of course, you can read any other uh, literature on Islam or anything about hadith or anything like that. Hadith books. Hadith books is not off limits. You can read if you have a copy of Sahih al-Bukhari or Riyadh al-Salihin or any hadith kitab. You are allowed to read it while you are in a state of menses because it does not have the same ruling as the Quran itself. So yeah, the only thing that is off limits is the actual recitation of the Quran in its Arabic form, original form. And salah, like I said, and fasting, of course, and, and, and tawaf and entering a masjid. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you may read any other thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm very proud that our sister is asking this question. Because obviously it shows that while she's not making salah, she doesn't want to miss out. She doesn't want to waste the time necessarily. But she still wants to benefit, you know. So she will read the translation of the Quran, for example, to at least keep her going for those few days that she will be out of bounds for making salah. Hmm. And that is something to be proud of, alhamdulillah, that she's got that conscious mind to at least uh, occupy her time with that which is beneficial. You make dua that Allah accepts from her and keep her steadfast, inshallah, on the good that she is that she is initiating. One thing to do. Shukran, Sheikh. So, uh, the next one, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Isn't zakah valid if the recipient is made the owner of zakah? And if one constructs a water well, then who will be the owner of that water well, Sheikh? Yeah, generally, yes, you are right that generally speaking, um, the ownership normally is transferred to an individual as far as zakah is concerned. And this is taken from chapter 9, verse 60, Surah Tawbah, where Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا الصَّدَقَاتُ لِلْفُقَرَاءِ وَالْمَسَاكِينِ وَالْعَامِلِينَ عَلَيْهَا وَالْمُؤَلَّفَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ Until the end of the ayah, where Allah Ta'ala gives the categories, various categories of people that would receive zakah, that would be the recipients. Mm. And yes, the ownership would then be transferred to that particular individual. However, there are some scholars, and here particularly in the Hanbali Madhab, the Madhab of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, that had looked at this verse, and one of the categories of people that is termed here to be fi sabilillah, those who are in the path of Allah. Now, whilst many scholars have interpreted this to be those who are on jihad, you know, struggling or striving in the path of Allah or fighting a battle in the in the in the in, in the in the name of Allah in the cause for Islam, etc. So the mujahideen they will be getting, for example, a portion of zakah. Um, some other scholars have said no, fi sabilillah uh, is quite a wide term, you know, anything that is in the path of Allah is also uh, for zakah. So let's say the water well, a school, a hospital, etc., etc. According to some scholars, although this is the minority view, the view of Ahmed Muhammad and others, a small group of scholars, but it is nonetheless a view that is legitimate, that suggests that zakah can be given to avenues that is fi sabilillah. And so uh, taking that, so obviously the water well won't have a specific owner. Uh, it won't be transferred specifically to one person. But of course, the benefits of that water well will go back to whoever drinks from it, especially if it is in an area where people are poor or people don't have. So if you construct that water well, all those people who drink, they will benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So yes, it, will, it won't, won't have necessarily one owner, but it is more like a waqaf system, you know, where, mm-hmm. where it will be a, an endowment to the community to kind of benefit from it. And there are some scholars that have broadened the understanding of Shufi Sabirillah in this ayah, in this particular way, so that it can accommodate for these kinds of avenues of spending one's zakah. Although the majority would say no, Shufi Sabirillah yeah, only refers to people that are actually on the battlefield or that are actually serving Islam, etc., etc. So inshallah, those are the two interpretations. So there need not be any issue regarding that particular avenue of spending one's uh, zakah, inshallah. 
Next one, uh, Sheikh, can you please explain if you go to the dentist in Ramadan and get an inj- injection, is your fast broken? Yeah, um, as long as nothing was swallowed, then of course the fast will be valid. So depending the injection, where it was given and if anything actually went down the throat. Mm. So if the injection was given in such a way that you did not swallow anything at all, then your your fasting is completely valid. You don't have to pay in, you don't have to worry, you just continue fasting. If, on the other hand, the, the dentist uh, pushed something down your throat or some liquid went down or whatever uh, entered into the cavity or into the throat region or went down to the stomach area, um, so anything that went down basically mm-hmm. would invalidate the fast. So it's not the fact that it was an injection or not. So let's say it was an injection that was given in the arm, for example. That would not invalidate at all because okay. it's not something that is going through your mouth into the cavity. Okay. Okay. So that would not invalidate at all. But let's say it was an injection that was given sort of in your gum. Mm. Okay. Now one need to ask, did anything pass down the throat to the inside? And if so, then the fast is invalid. The fast has been invalidated. But if nothing went actually down the throat then your fast will not be invalid. Would there be any sort of, um, if, if you're confused about the fact whether it would be saliva or um, some of the water that, that, that is in your mouth that the, the dentist maybe uses to, to rinse out. Um, although I know that when you go to the dentist, they have a suction in mm. your mouth. So if you're confused about something going down your mouth, whether you know it is your saliva or water, what, what, what is... Yeah, look, if, if there is sort of uncertainty mm. from your side, then obviously uh, prudence will, will be to, 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 to rather consider it uh, to be invalid and to repeat the day. Okay. Right, uh, but if you are fairly comfortable that it was not something foreign mm. that went down your throat, if you are fairly comfortable with that, then it's fine. Then okay. you don't need to worry. Don't have to pay it in. Um, so that is what it is. You okay. just need to see if something went down. Okay. If it didn't, then you don't have to worry. You can continue fasting. There is no problem whatsoever. Shukran for this question. We do apologize that it is a bit late um, because it was somebody working at the dentist and all the patients were wanting to know this question. So I think, inshallah, for next time, that's a good guide. All right. So our next one is, Assalamu alaikum. My wife applied for Fasakh and they decided to give it to her due to my absence. During her idda, intercourse happened between us. Is she now still my wife or not, Sheikh? No, absolutely not. She is not your wife, um, especially if the fasakh has been granted in a legitimate way and it was legal by the judiciary and all the procedures were followed. Then, of course, uh, if the fasakh, fasakh is proved to be uh, to be valid, then it means that the, the marriage contract has been annulled. And this is the difference between talaq and fasakh. You know, fasakh is a complete annulment of the marriage contract, mm. whereas a talaq is a divorce which means the contract still stands, but you divorced from one another, there is still room for reconciliation. Mm. Whereas a fasakh, you cannot reconcile just like that. All right. So what had happened here is if the, the fasakh has gone through and you are aware of it and it has been signed and it's been legally gone through the channels, then there is no way that you can now just take her back. So even if you had slept together, that would not change anything. Okay. It actually means now that you committed an act that is wrong, that is haram. Okay, and you need to make tawbah for that, and uh, you need not to re- repeat that as well. Um, and of course, if you wanted to get back to one another, let's say, and you wanted to be a husband and wife again after a fasakh has gone through, you can obviously remarry each other. That is possible. You know, you can get married again with a new dowry, with new contract, with new witnesses. That is quite possible, and that is only if in the past three talaqs was not yet given. 
Okay, three talaks was not yet given, but a fasakh was given, or let's say there was one talaq only and a fasakh was given, then of course you can remarry each other. But you cannot just take you cannot just sleep together and expect everything to be back to normal. And this is why we always make people aware of this big difference between a fasakh and a talaq. Mm-hmm. Once the husband gives the talaq, during the idda period they can make up without remarrying. They can reconcile without remarrying. But the fasakh is different. Once the fasakh is, that's why we find also the fasakh is a much more rigorous process, right? It's not just a talaq that's just given one one way like that or quickly. Mm. It is investigation. The parties must be called in. There must be strong grounds for a fasakh. And only after all those things are in place and the fasakh is actually granted, then from that point onwards, there is no more nikah. So once there is no more contract, you cannot make up, you cannot just sleep together or just say, let's forget about it, etc. If you wanted to get back together, you have to remarry, inshallah. So this is what my advice that I give. If this is what happened, you should make tawbah for that. So because when you slept together, you were not married to each other. Mm. You were actually haram for each other. So uh, you must make tawbah for that. But if you really wanted to be with one another again after the fasakh, nothing stops you from forming a new contract, a new nikah, with a new dowry, with new witnesses, and that will obviously solve your problem for uh, wanting to be with one another once again. Inshallah, may the mighty will grant us all understanding with the um, answers that Sheikh has given. We will take a short break and come back with more of your SMSs back in a moment. Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. 47913 is the SMS line. You know, to get the answers to the SMSs, we really, really, really appreciate it. I know I said it in a different way, but it's just to get the message out to everyone. Um, we do have a backlog of questions, but your questions will be answered in due time. We have Sheikh Ibrahim Moas in studio with us, giving you his detailed answer to your question. Sheikh, the next one reads... Can two women who are married to the same husband come to an arrangement as to how they must spend their time with him, example, two days a year, four days a year, or should they stick to, to equal times regardless of what they agree? Yeah, yeah the main thing about uh, two wives being married to the same husband is that everyone's haq must be given hmm. and no one's haq must be taken away or forced to be taken away. Um, so, so the husband is the one that is the main role player as far as that is concerned. Okay. He should make sure that he gives equal time and that he gives equal nafaka and that he gives equal uh, care and attention to each one the way that they deserve, right? However, if the parties all agree, the husband inclusive here, yeah, the husband including all the wives, they agree for example that look we don't mind if you spend an extra day here or extra day there or they have a special arrangement like that mm. okay then this certainly there is no issue with that as long as all parties have uh, willfully and not under pressure or under coercion or under threat threats you know it mustn't be under threats or under any difficult circumstances but it must be a normal amicable arrangement that they have that they all agreed on then inshallah i, I suppose that can work there is no problem as long as you know it's not going to take away the haq of anyone or you're not sh- shortchanging anyone, then it is fine. Because there is a, a precedent for this. Even the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, towards the end of his life, uh, we know that he was very keen on still spending his time with his wives. Uh, he was uh, actually very ill, but he used to ask, where am I tomorrow? Where mm. should I go? Which wife, whose turn is it? 
Yes. He was still very much worried with that. But also what we do find in the history of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that the wives then all came together and they agreed, let him rather just stay with Sayyidatina Aisha. Mm-hmm. It's better, you know. Let him just remain there. It will be easier for everyone. And, and, and that is something, arrangement that they made. So if that is the case, then I suppose it is, it is fine as long as I say all parties must agree to it mm. and they must not be uh, sh- uh, you know, taking the haq of anyone or taking you know, a portion of time of anyone without their consent. Then as long as that is abided by, then inshallah, I suppose that that, can, that kind of arrangement may be made uh, if everyone is happy and no one is being forced to abide by, by that particular decision. Oh, such a lovely question, actually, Sheikh. Yeah. Um, let's move to our next one. Salam. Can I give fidya to my sister-in-law? Um, both her and her husband are pensioners. They also have children that works, Sheikh. Yeah. Um, of course, <clears throat> we have to look at whether they are deserving uh, recipients of, of zakah and sadaqah or not. Mm. Because unfortunately what, what is sad about this question is It sort of has a tone of The children not really looking after their parents mm. Which is which is wrong They should be looking after their parents uh, If they can of course If they are in the, by the means of doing so They should look after their parents to the best of their ability And there should be no need for the parents To want to get from other people you know, so that's the first point I want to make, that children must always try to look after the parents the best that they can. Remember, they looked after you when you were very little. Mm. You know, um, They didn't sigh and they did not make a fuss of it. They did not become tired. They did not give up. They did not decide one day they had enough, mm. but rather they did it tirelessly and they did it effortlessly and they did it with love. So the least you can do is also to, to actually give back to them mm. if you can. If you can. If you can't, obviously, that we also understand. But not everybody's circumstances is the same. Maybe the children can't afford it. Then that we can also understand. But what I'm saying is if the children are by the means and they can look, they should never look at their parents as being a burden to them. But they must look at it as a blessing. Because mm-hmm. the more they help their parents, the more Allah's blessings will be over them, the more barakah they will be getting. And... Uh, We've got so much that we owe to our parents, you know. I mean, where would we have been without their guidance, without their love, without their nurturing, without their directives that they gave us, without their uh, education that they gave us? Where would we have been? You know, Mm. we would not have been anywhere. We would not have been uh, successful the way that we are. And I actually met a a, a scholar that came from Durban recently now in Ramadan. He visited Cape Town and we had a lovely evening together. And he he said something which was very beautiful, which I I will probably remember, you know, for a long time. He said that often sometimes people, they boast about their successes, you know, that I've achieved this and I've become this and I've got this degree, you know. Uh, He says, if you really look at it, whatever success you've made out of your life is not actually your success, (laughs) but it's actually the, the success of your parents. Because they were the ones that, that okay, when you were little, they instilled all these values in you. Mm. They directed you in the, in the right way, you know. So whatever success you are making, you should attribute it to them, really. Mm. And if you want to talk about your own successes that you've made, then you must see to your own children and see what you can make in, as far as their lives are concerned. So you are basically the product of your parents. Mm. And that is why we owe them so much. So that's the first part of the question. The second part of the question is, so if they are deserving, let's say they are pensioners, so they are struggling, they don't have enough to make ends meet. Mm. And even though the child, they have children at work, but the children don't really look after them, then yes, you as a sister, if you want to give your fidya to them, there's nothing wrong. You can give it to them as long as they are deserving. You can give it to them. It is. Uh, it would be actually a, a, a double act of kindness. It's giving a sadaqah and also family ties joining family ties but what i do suggest here is that if the children are by the means of looking after their parents and they are not doing so 
then I think you need to also give them the proper advice hmm. in a nice way. Go and speak to them and say, look, your mommy and daddy is struggling. You are working. Is there no way that you can give them monthly, maybe something small? You know, their pension obviously is not enough for them to survive. Is it not possible for you to give them every month maybe something that you can afford to make their burden a bit easier? Because by doing so, you will be obviously gaining the pleasure of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think if you can do that favor and actually speak to them, if that is the case. But if, on the other hand, you know that they're working, but they also have challenges in their lives. They've got many bills to pay, lots of debt and so, mm -hmm. so they can't really help up their, their parents. Then, of course, that is to be understood. And in that case, you give your fidya and whatever help you can give to your sister. You give them, inshallah, Allah will reward you dearly for Amen. your act of kindness and for your concern for your sibling inshallah ta'ala inshallah it does also start with your family first whether it's zakah or not Sheikh. that is absolutely correct yeah. yes the next one reads a bit sad but in alhamdulillah may allah guide us all my husband and i work at the same company but in different department departments he's a friend he's friends with an unmarried muslim lady at work i see them having regular lunch alone in the cafeteria or I see him coming from visiting her at a desk. They have no work relations so it is not work they are discussing. I told him that I'm not happy with the Sheikh. Uh, he told me that I am jealous. I wish my husband can give me the attention he gives this lady even if it is just friendship they are having. Is their friendship permissible in Islam, Sheikh? Uh, no, certainly not the way, if it is the way that you are explaining it here, certainly not. Um, and he's got no right to tell you that, you know, uh, you are just jealous. Because mm. you've got the right to be jealous if this is the way that he is carrying on, to be having lunches with this uh, foreign lady and not really giving you the same kind of attention, you as his wife. It's obviously wrong and uh, it's inappropriate really for a married man to be to be to be acting like this hmm. and if really you find good company in in her you know being with her etc then at the least you do you do is you invite your wife along as well hmm. you know so just to sort of take away the any bad feelings or bad uh, thoughts that people may have you know because it's important people will, will be looking at you with some kind of uh, bad thoughts hmm. you know why why forever with this other lady and it's it's inappropriate quite frankly and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had actually said La rajulun bimra'atin That a man should never be alone with a strange woman because shaitan will be the third one mm. If they are not married to each other, shaitan will be the third one And he will be the one that will, wreak, uh, will, will cause havoc and will cause problems between the married couple etc Like I said on another show, that is the job of shaitan You know, they try to take couples away from each other and to cause divorce and to cause ill feelings so uh, I, I do agree uh, with the sister that uh, you know it's not right what he's doing mm. and so somebody should, should obviously be talking to him and saying to him look it's inappropriate for you to go and sit hours with a strange lady and having lunches alone with her and uh, whilst your own wife that is also in the same company mm. you don't give her that kind of time you know and, and then you still say she's jealous well she's got the right to be jealous because what you are doing is wrong mm. And so give your haq, inshallah, to your wife, honor your inshallah. family, honor your contract. Remember when you said, Qabiltu nikaha in the masjid that day, it wasn't a contract between you and her only, it was between you and Allah also. Because Allah is going to hold you responsible for this contract of nikah that you did. And uh, if you don't uphold it and you don't honor it, then obviously you are going to be questioned by Allah for that. So we hope, inshallah, that this, this particular husband, if he is listening or if he knows about this, um, please, you know, do 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 reconsider hmm. your attitude towards this whole situation, and uh, uh, don't don't cause you know um, someone to come in between you and a wife like this. Your wife hmm. should be the dearest to you and the nearest to you, and the closest to you. 
and the one that you have your lunches with and the one that you have in your intimate moments with and not strange people. And that's why you got married to this woman in the first place. So we, we hope, inshallah, that this person will come to his senses and realize the wrong that he's doing and hopefully repair and, 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 and bring a positive change to this uh, particular situation that he is in. Again, all the best to that couple. With that, we'll take a short break and uh, we'll take some of your SMSs and your questions. The next one reads as follows. My friend is a non-Muslim but raising her daughter as a Muslim sheikh. The dad is Muslim. They had their daughter out of wedlock though. Is he the mahram of their daughter and will he be the one to give her off um, if she should reach that stage of wanting to get married? The mom also wants to send the daughter for Umrah. Must the dad give his permission uh, for someone else to be the mahram shukran yeah of course in this case the father who is not really the legal father is only the biological father but he's not the legal father in terms of islam mm. so obviously he does not have that haq over that child really to give permission and to be a mahram and to really marry her off and all of that um, he, he does not have those rights especially if um, you know he he knows that this, this child was consumed out of marriage um, it is quite admirable to, 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 to hear that this, this non-Muslim woman yes. is at least trying to, to give this child a Muslim education, seeing that her father is Muslim and she's got Muslim family. Mm. It's quite admirable. And we pray, inshallah, that hopefully this will turn her heart also. Perhaps inshallah. she will also see the beauty of what Islam is, you know. Amen. And maybe she will also revert to Islam and it, it will make everything so much easier. Mm. Um, but in terms of uh, the daughter needing a mahram, for example, to, to, to go and travel, for Umrah, etc. Then yes, uh, she doesn't need the, the the father to tell her that the biological father. But that is something that Islam ordains. Mm. That if she wants to go on Umrah, then she should then get a mahram. You know, um, any other uh, family member of hers, an uncle, maybe a cousin, or ever, not a cousin really, but an uncle, maybe a brother, if there is, or whatever other distant family even. And if there is no absolutely no family members that can accompany her on this travel, then inshallah, a group of good Muslim women that are upright and so on would also be sufficient for her to travel on this particular journey. Um, but uh, yeah, it is obviously uh, it is obviously um, best for her to pursue that and not to travel like that without having somebody to care for her, etc. Um, and what I would also would want to say here is that, like I said on a previous show, that although this father technically is not the mahram, technically is not the wali, technically he's not really the one to make the decisions, Right. However, I would still want to sort of not totally exclude him from everything. Hmm. I would still want to honor him in a small way, you know. Although uh, he, he's not able to to give those the play that role that he's supposed to play, but at least give him also that idea that look, we don't want to exclude you in everything that we do. Hmm. Also include him in some uh, details or some issues of of your life, etc. Hopefully, inshallah, that will also bring uh, the relationship a bit stronger and make it stronger between. After all, a mother is non-Muslim, so she need obviously some Muslim support as well. Hmm. You know, who's going to support her? Who's going to give her the guidance? Who's going to help her along? And if she needs it, you know, so it's always good to. To, to, to bridge the gaps and to, to try and strengthen whatever Muslim relationships there are as well. So in this case, we, for example, say that she also try to not uh, shut out a biological father altogether, mm. 
but also let him play some role in her life as well. Inshallah, that will be an act of goodness from her side. And we also hope that, inshallah, like I said, the mother, who knows through the beauty of Islam that she is experiencing and seeing in a daughter, etc. Hopefully her heart will also turn uh, towards this beautiful deen of ours. And uh, we make dua, inshallah, that uh, this woman, uh, this girl especially, remains steadfast. Uh, on the straight path inshallah and that she continues on her islam and that allah preserves her in that way inshallah inshallah so the next one sheikh is it's a bit late but inshallah may the mighty guide us all um my son departs on a flight from joburg to cape town tomorrow this is probably in ramadan at seventeen ten. joburg book time is seventeen thirty one, and cape town is seventeen fifty five. what time must he break his fast it's a two-hour flight yeah, the rule of thumb is that you break your fast the moment that you see sunset, wherever you may be, whether you are in the air or whether you are in Joburg or whether you are in Cape Town, the moment the sun sets, mm. then that is when you break your fast. And uh, you and, no- and if weather doesn't permit you? Yeah, normally the, uh, the, the weather, if it does not clearly permit to you, you can ask, you can obviously ask uh, the air hostesses, okay, okay. wherever you are, what is the time, did the sun set already where mm. we are now? You know, uh, and in that case, that is what you do. If, for example, it's still long before sunset, hmm. Mathalan, so obviously he's traveling from Cape Town to Joburg. So let's say he's going to definitely arrive in Joburg before sunset. So does he now break his fast according to the time from the place where he came from or oh, the yeah, place that he's going? Too, now, obviously, the place where he's going, because there where he is now, that is the time that he follows. Okay, so that is what he will do. And there's some interesting questions around this as well. Let's say somebody was in a country that uh, fasted and it was the, let's say, the, he fasted 28 days in that country, mm. you know, and then he traveled to another country where when he arrived there, it was their Eid already. So oh, what does he do now? Sure. <laughs> what, he, he will follow, he will have Eid with him. But the only problem now is he had fasted only 28 days. So all that the Sharia requires for him now to do is after Eid, he has to pay in one day to make it at least 29. Because Mm. our fasting month is either 29 or 30. But the point is, he will celebrate Eid with those people when he comes in whatever place he arrives. So the the importance is not given uh, to the place that you are coming from, Mm. but really the place that you are going to. And that is where you would give all your judgments in terms of breaking fast, in terms of Eid and all of that. That is normally what we would follow. But like I said, the rule of thumb is wherever you are, start fasting at the time of Fajr and end your fast at the time of Maghrib. And that is at the time of sunset, if you can ascertain that in whatever possible way. Okay, Sheikh, so we literally have just under two minutes for our last question. And it reads, Salam, if a lady fasts for the day and an hour before Maghrib she has a she gets a khayd, must she fast in that day? Yeah, unfortunately she must. Uh, the woman doesn't like this very much, but that is how things <laughs> yes, work. Yeah. That a fasting day is only valid if you were clean for the entire day, from Fajr till Maghrib. Mm. So I'll make it worse than this. Let's say she <laughs> actually discovers maybe 10 minutes before, before Maghrib. And <laughs> now she has uh, gotten her main situation unfortunately she will have to fast in that day uh, obviously nothing else there's no penalty there's no sin on her that's mm. a natural process but she will have to pay in that day because she did not fulfill the conditions of being clean for the entire day of fasting uh, and inshallah she mustn't get angry for that she mustn't even get if upset it was just a few minutes yeah, yeah. Even, yeah don't get upset <laughs> because that few that hours up until then remember that hours up until then that you fasted although your fasting days are not complete you were still in ibadah up until then yeah. you know th- that doesn't get wiped out
the fact that you fasted for this few hours it's still fasting mm. you will still get rewarded by Allah Ta'ala and this is the, the analogy that I always make on this it's like when you come late in the salah when you come late in the salah for example and you now find that the Imam is in his sujood so what do you do you join the salah and you go into sujood Hmm. So when you are in sujood, it's not your sujood, it's the imam sujood because you didn't do your rakahs yet. But don't you recite with him in that sujood, subhan rabbi al-a'la, whatever he's reciting hmm. to us, you also recite. Hmm. Although it's not part of your own salah. Hmm. And you will get reward for that individual sujood, you will get reward. You know, it's not lost, like it's not for nothing. Yeah. You'll get reward. So similarly, yeah, you fasted for that nine hours or eight hours up until that time when you discovered. Inshallah, you were fasting up until then. So those hours of fasting will count. Yeah. Uh, but you have to unfortunately just pay the day in at another stage so that you can have a complete day of fasting, inshallah. Shukran. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh. A big thank you once again for your time and uh, the research, the necessary research for all of the questions answered.